The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Having considered what I believe to be the best interests of our party, our caucus, as well as my own preferences, I'm here today to announce that I will not be leading Alberta's NDP into the next election. That's Rachel Notley. She announced that she is stepping down as leader of Alberta's New Democrats after almost a decade in the job. When she took over, the party had only four MLAs. She led that party to victory, ended a conservative reign that lasted more than 40 years, and then, after four years in power, the NDP lost the next two elections. But there is no doubt that Rachel Notley has changed the political landscape in Alberta. Rachel Notley is in Edmonton. Good morning. Good morning. You're a runner? Indeed. Do you find that your steps are are a bit lighter now, now that you have made this decision, but also announced the decision publicly? Yes, subject, of course, to the uh, six inches of snow that I ran through this morning. But yeah, yeah, no, there's no question. There's a little bit less pressure these days. Why did you make this decision now? You know, I, I took some time to think about it and to think about what was best for the party and the caucus moving forward, as as well as for me. I didn't just make the decision uh, last week. I did make it a while ago, but I waited until we'd had a chance to get, uh, you know, some of our new MLAs uh, up to speed and get them through a session. We're very excited. We have 19 new MLAs. We have 38 MLAs, largest opposition in Alberta's history, and 19 of them are new. And so I wanted them to come into an official opposition caucus that that had some structure and some process. And now they know their jobs. They're incredibly capable. And uh, so it's a good time for me to to uh, bring the caucus into this next stage. When you made that speech, um, you talked about your parents and you got really emotional in talking about them. Tell me a little bit about why that hits you then. Well, you know, it's it's a. Uh... It's, you know, it's always a bit of a a bittersweet, I suppose. You know, I grew up in in the party. Uh, I grew up watching both my parents uh, as activists, each in their own way. And, uh, you know, you always kind of, it's a a bit uh, both sad to think that they didn't get a chance to see uh, the success that, frankly, we all collectively have had uh, in Alberta's NDP. But at the same time, it's also kind of inspiring because, uh, you know, I, I drew a lot from what they taught me uh, growing up, not just uh, the the values of, of, of social democracy, which of course are critically important, but also the values of sort of determined hard work. I've often said that a New Democrat in Alberta will always have to work at least twice as hard as anybody else. Mm. And that is uh, certainly, I think, what we've seen in this province over the last many years. When you look back on not just what they gave you, but what you accomplished. What what brings you the most satisfaction in terms of your time as leader? Well, I think the most important thing is, you know, I've always been a person from a long time ago uh, who has said that 
No, we should be able to agree to disagree. And I don't actually uh, look down my nose at the concept of partisanship. And, you know, even though I was born and raised and went to school here in Alberta, I went away and lived in Ontario and BC for a while. And when I came back to Alberta uh, in the early 2000s, there was this, this notion that one couldn't be partisan or couldn't be political. And it was because we were a province that was a one-party state. And and my view is, is that we do better when everybody has the ability to express express their ideas in in a way that is not only, oh, isn't that an interesting kook over there in the corner, but, oh, that person actually has the potential of making a decision uh, for this whole province, and that that makes all of what we do better. And so uh, we're not a one-party state anymore. So that's probably the single biggest uh, thing that that I look back on and I'm, and I'm proud of. And then, you know, flowing from that, of course, are some some uh, policy issues that I was very proud to be part of. Uh, you know, we were the first jurisdiction in North America to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour. We cut child poverty in half, even as we were dealing with the, the biggest recession driven by the collapse in oil prices of a couple of generations. And of course, we, we phased out coal and built ourselves a pipeline. So I, I leave with some pride in the record that, that we were able to develop. You believe that it's no longer a one-party state? I mean, Jason Kenney famously said that, that the NDP victory was an accidental government. Well, that's exactly true. He did famously say that in 2019. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't leave them, because I knew that was wrong. And I didn't want him to get away with that narrative. As it turned out, I I think I lasted longer than he did. Well, I didn't think. I I know. Um, (laughs) Both in terms of my tenure as premier as well as my tenure as leader. But uh, listen, the the reality is, is that we got 44% of the vote in the last election. Uh, There are governing parties that would uh, be very excited over 44 four percent of the vote anywhere. Uh, we won all the seats in Edmonton, uh, a, a few outside, and, and then of course we won the most number of seats in Calgary. How divided do you think the province is? Because to your point, you won seats in urban ridings, but not nearly enough in rural ridings. And I just wonder, one of the things, when we were in, in, in Calgary and speaking with voters there from across the spectrum, um, they predicted in some ways that that was going to happen, but also said that this was about trusting you and trusting your government in terms of what it was going to do. Why Why do you think you aren't able to reach those folks in, in rural communities and how divided do you think the province is? Well, I mean, I think the reality is, is that uh, there is division all across our country right now because we have been through, um, you know, very, very difficult times. You know, you look at the the protests that we saw in Ottawa, that's, that's uh, you know, a, a clear... Um, demonstration of that. What I know is that we actually increased our vote in uh, ridings all across the province. There's only three ridings where we didn't increase our vote. But the reality is that those votes didn't go to you. I mean, that that, that it was the UCP that was still able to clean up in in those rural Absolutely. But my point is, is like, I've been at this game for a while, as you said it in your introduction, you know, uh, when I started, we had uh, four seats in Edmonton, and and now we have all the seats in Edmonton and many more more seats. And so uh, growth is sometimes incremental. So what I'm saying is that we did grow our support in rural Alberta last time, and we have more work to do. There is no question. We need to to, uh, uh, take more time to listen to the people of rural Alberta, to engage in those communities, and, and I believe that we are well positioned to do that. Between 2019 and 2023, we really focused on Calgary 
And uh, I believe that's paid off and we have more work to do there, but we've made tremendous progress. And we're going to be as strategic in terms of our efforts to build more relationships with folks in rural Alberta. Too. If, if you listened to them, as you say, you need to listen to them more. If you listen to people in, in rural parts of your province, what do you think you would hear? I would, uh, I think there's a lot of things that actually uh, bring us together. P rural Albertans, for instance, care very, very much about the land. Uh, they care about, uh, you know, conservation. They care about affordability. Um, they care about economic development. They care about community and and the value of of preserving and strengthening community where they are. Um, you know, they they want to be able to move forward with the rest of the province. I mean, you know, a, a, a basic but really important issue like rural broadband. They understand that that that's going to be uh, extremely important in terms of growth. And, and that's about connectivity, in fact, instead of about uh, distinguishing one part of the province from another. So there are lots of common values. Of course, they care about their health care uh, because, of course, the state of health care in rural Alberta has de has deteriorated dramatically. What do you, what do you think is different um, in terms yeah. of their goals and their, their visions and aspirations versus those in urban areas? Right. Well, you know, I think uh, I don't want to make uh, gross generalizations about people in, in broad communities in terms of where they differ. Um, I think that, uh, you know, they love their province. We all love our province. Um, and uh, there will be some uh, differences of opinion, uh, for sure. But I also think that uh, we want to see the province move forward. And as I say, when I go through parts of rural Alberta, especially some of the smaller communities, the smaller cities, uh, I see folks that that want uh, a government that's going to build a strong community foundation, strong health care, strong education, uh, that's going to uh, engage in economic diversification in a forward-looking way, and a government that's going to address the kinds of concerns we have. We have massive land use issues that are uh, developing here in Alberta as a result of uh, uh, water allocation issues, for instance, and, and uh, we are going to have to work together on that intelligently and with uh, thought, and um, uh, there's a strong role for a strong op official opposition to play in that process. Let me ask you about... Um... One of the, the issues that, that, that uh, ran through your time as leader, but also in, 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 in power, that's the issue of um, pipelines and the TMX, the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. This mm -hmm. pipeline is expected to start shipping oil early this year, but as you well know, the costs have ballooned. It's been contentious right from, from the very beginning. How do you feel about that as a key part of your legacy? Well, I think it's, uh, I, I appreciate that the costs have ballooned, but I also uh, believe that it is going to uh, return. Uh, there's still a strong ret uh, return on investment from the construction of that pipeline, and uh, it is going to benefit Albertans and ultimately uh, Canadians. You know, the, the reality is, is that the, the capital expenditure into oil and gas, particularly the oil sands, was decided on, you know, years and decades ago. And the amount of production that will come from that will happen either way. And the key is for Albertans and Canadians to get the maximum return on investment for the product that we own, that Albertans own. And we uh, have been suffering under a, a, a 
the result of a tremendous um, uh, discount because of our inability to transport uh, our oil and gas effectively, uh, cheaply, and into a diverse set of markets. So what the expansion to Tidewater of TMX does is, is it diversifies our markets and it reduces our, our transportation costs. And it means that Albertans and through Albertans Canadians get a much higher return on a product that would be sold either way. And and for that reason, uh, the, the economics are still there for it. The last I heard was that it would generate about $40 billion over uh, 20 years uh, just in uh, taxes and royalties incrementally. So that's not nothing. And and so it, it's uh, it's going to pay for itself. What do you say to, and this, this has dogged you throughout your time as leader, the environmentalists who are incredibly disappointed with with your stance on that. Not, not just in the province or beyond the province, even members of, of the New Democratic Party elsewhere in the country who, mm-hmm. who, who can't square you with the support that you have for this pipeline right now at a time of heightened environmental concern. What do you say to them? What I say is that the pipeline is not going to have an impact on the amount of production. It is merely going to have an impact on the amount of uh, the the size of the investment that is returned to the owners of the resources and to taxpayers. Um, And that increased return is going to help us uh, invest and actually also help uh, oil and gas invest in what needs to be done to reduce emissions and also to diversify our energy sector uh, in a way that allows us to to you know um, aggressively reduce emissions. You know that and there so, are people who will say that, that that it needs to be kept in the ground. That it that it doesn't there, matter there are, whether it doesn't matter yeah. whether you build a bigger pipeline, whether the pipeline is a good return on investment. That the point mm-hmm. is right now that you keep it in the ground. Well, the reality is is that it's not going to be kept in the ground. And moreover, uh, there are uh, hundreds of thousands of Canadians who uh, pay their bills right now. Uh, on the basis of the oil and gas industry. So uh, you need to uh, find a way to ensure that that industry, as I say, diversifies and that jobs are protected and grown, not uh, thrown into disarray. That kind of a dramatic shift just creates uh, chaos and opposition, and it will allow it will result in no progress on emissions reduction. And this is a key thing that I said throughout my tenure as premier and also as leader, is that if we pit the economy and the environment against each other, then we will fail on both. And the reality is, is that Alberta's economy and hundreds of thousands of people in this province pay their mortgage each and every day on the basis of the energy industry and Canadians as a whole also um, uh, benefit tremendously from the amount of income that comes into this country uh, through that industry. So I'm not saying that we don't have to diversify and and use technology to reduce our emissions as much as we can and and, um, also move into sort of new sectors overall, but that we have to do it in a way that ensures uh, the uh, consent of the citizens of this country. And if we do it too dramatically, we will lose that. And then we will lose on both fronts. Do you think that there should be a production cap uh, on, on oil and gas when it comes to uh, a, a goal of trying to reduce emissions overall? I think there should be an emissions cap. Not a production and, cap. 
No, no, I've always been in favor of an emissions cap. Uh, I mean, we put in place a draft uh, production cap when we were in government, but it was linked to an emissions cap. And I think that that we can get there with the emissions cap. I just think that uh, we need to be uh, working collaboratively uh, more effectively than we are right now. Uh, you know, we are at a state right now where the provincial government and the federal government uh, are at a st- at a point where we're not making progress anymore, and we're letting down everybody who needs to see us put these limits in place um, in a way that uh, still attracts investment and uh, creates jobs as opposed to killing jobs. But we're not doing that right now because it's deteriorated into a, a ridiculously weaponized conversation, mm. um, and uh, and that. That is frustrating to me because I think that there is opportunity there. And absolutely, we do need to uh, make responsible decisions about uh, our emissions and we need to start bringing them down. And I agree with that completely. But I, I um, am disappointed by the, the state of the, the conversation on that right now. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. What do you think people outside of Alberta don't understand about the province in 2024? Um, you know, I think there is still a caricature of the province. I think that, you know, what, what is that still- caricature, caricature? I mean, if you were to, I'm not, you're not outside the province, but what do you think is projected on Alberta right now? Uh, what what I will say is projected is the failure to understand that we are uh, one of the most, if like the second most diverse province in the country, that we are the youngest and that we are the best educated. And we have a, a incredible, you know, arts and culture scene. We have, uh, you know, a, a, a diversity or diversification in our economy is, is, is exploding right now. Um, and and so there is a lot to um, Alberta that people don't see. And so rather than sort of saying, oh, here's what I think people think of us, uh, here's what I am concerned people don't know about us, which is uh, what I just described. And on top of that, having lived all across the country, you know, I know Albertans to be uh, very adventurous, open, welcoming uh, very friendly, very, a little on the charismatic side, I would say. Charismatic. And, and, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, like if you're going to go out for a night on the town somewhere in Canada, I would say you're going to have the most uh, fun in Alberta. And uh, and that's what people don't know about Albertans. You said that you hoped when you uh, got into politics that we should be able to agree to disagree. Um, when you take a look at this country, not just the province, when you take a look at this country, how... How how do you feel about the future of Canada, given how polarized we are and how it feels to a lot of people like you can't agree to disagree, that people just yell at each other? Well, you know, I think for sure, you know, that that is a troubling observation and it's and it's not um, 
untrue. And of course, it's not something that's unique to Canada. I think the world is in a, a bit of a fragile place but, right But now. in this country right now, you yeah. have provinces that are talking about, you know, um, avoiding laws that are in place because they yeah. don't agree with... You have national programs that, that, that are being questioned and perhaps yeah. uh, undermined, uh, or at the very least, um, th- th- that are being kind of... A road is being created around those national programs. Are you optimistic about the future of the country? I uh, wouldn't be uh, someone who has spent as much time as I have in politics if I didn't mostly uh, work from a position of optimism. And so, yes, I think uh, that we've got a few folks out there that are very cynically engaging in very exploitive politics right now. I also think, though, that there's still a lot of folks around who are more measured, who uh, think in slightly longer term uh, horizons and and uh, who are going to take more time and effort to have thoughtful conversations where we hear each other's perspectives and we approach those conversations with a view to problem solving rather than a view to wedging and, and uh, you know, creating more clicks. The whole environment within which we engage each other has gone through such a, a, a shift over the course of the 10 years. Mm. Um, and, and it takes a little bit of work to get back to a place where those sort of longer term tactics of, of engaging with each other on difficult subjects uh, are reinforced. And we're able to get back to a place where we can find uh, common ground. So we have to kind of relearn how we engage with each other a little bit. And we need to see the cynical click uh, bait uh, stuff for what it is and and learn to ignore it. Is there a role Um, for those people in politics, do you think? I, well, I, I think they may have to try a little bit harder to get there these days, but but I but I do feel optimistic that most people who go into politics, at least at the beginning stages of the process, really are doing it because they want to make a, a difference in a, for their community and they want to build something better. And and so I, I do think that that's why most people get involved in the first place. And we need to just find a way to make sure that they they keep that front of mind as they navigate the, the day-to-day tactics of the uh, political world. What's next for you? You've repeatedly said that you will not go into federal politics. Is that still the case? That is absolutely the case. No, I'm not going to go into federal politics. Because... Well, as I've said to a few folks, you know, I I really, really do care about the issues that that live in the provincial uh, world, you know, uh, education, healthcare, uh, housing. These things are the things, you know, the environment, obviously. Uh, These are the things where provincial decision makers really do have the most agency. So I'm not exactly sure what my engagement will look like going forward. But but honestly, you know, if, if politics was still the right form for me, I would immediately be drawn back to to the provincial front uh, because that's where a lot of the decisions are, are are made on the things that matter most to me. But no federal involvement. That's right. So politics. So so the decision is that I don't think politics is is where I want to be right now. But if somebody was 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 thinking about getting into politics and they were discouraged by what we were just talking about, that ability yeah. to agree uh, and to disagree with somebody, they worry that that's gone. Would you encourage them to get into politics? 
I sure would. I sure would. You know, I I take a lot of pride over the fact that, uh, you know, we ran a, 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 an equity-based uh, um, slate in the last election. And of course, we elected more women than men. And we elected uh, a very, very diverse slate. And, and you know, the first, uh, a number of firsts in terms of uh, representative groups who are now uh, in our legislature. And I, that happened because I spent a lot of time recruiting folks. And one of my recruiting lines, uh, which is real, um, is that, you know, if you're one of those people who listens to the radio in the morning and starts yelling at it, then you probably should think about getting into politics. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, and there's lots of different ways to get get involved in politics. You know, running for office is one of them, but, but there, you know, for every politician, there's, you know, 30 people at least around them who lift them up. And, and so there's lots of ways to be involved in making a difference in your community without necessarily jumping into putting your name forward. But at the same time, uh, people should always think about themselves as a potential candidate and, and know that uh, um, there's no longer a traditional picture of what a politician looks like. A um, politician looks like people and, uh, and potentially people who yell at the radio. I don't know whether we've generated any of that yelling this morning, but I am glad to uh, to talk to you again. Thank you for uh, for taking time to speak with us, and good luck in whatever you do. Thank you so much. It was lovely to chat with you. Rachel Notley is the outgoing leader of the Alberta NDP. She was in Edmonton. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.